Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehocraft. Coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening. I know it has been, oh, at least a couple of weeks since I have been with you. I just want to thank all of you for your patience, just not uh, local listeners, but all those who are tuning in by way of uh, podcast. So it is Wednesday evening, and I am especially excited to be back with you because I get to have Father Mike Ritter uh, with me this evening. Now, I don't have him in studio, but uh, I know all of you very much want to hear from Father Mike Ritter, so I do have him on the phone from Lake Tahoe. So, uh, Father Mike Ritter, great to have you with me this evening. Hey, Joe, thanks. It's good to be uh, It's been a, It's been a, a week or so since we've been able to kind of connect and do this, so it's good to uh, be connected even from a distance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been two weeks, and you know, Father Mike, I was going through some of our programming on my flight back from Ohio, and this is program number 27, and I was going back through the last 26 episodes, and as I was, uh, the one thing that stood out to me was each episode has, has had its own charism, if you will. Mm. Uh, now, this evening, we have the opportunity to talk about Jurassic Park. Um, so right. we are not going to talk about just not one Jurassic Park movie per se, but really the more general overarching themes to, to what lies underneath the Jurassic Park franchise. A franchise, Father Mike, that, um, if my memory serves me correct, what, 1993, so that's 25 years, uh, the latest installment, Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom, I think it's the fifth movie. And it's really interesting to follow this along because when Jurassic Park came out in 1993, it was the number one movie of all time, as far as uh, generating revenue up until, I think, what was it, 1997 in Titanic. So certainly this is a movie that has captivated many, many hearts and minds. Uh, I have to say um, I was one of those who was wrapped up in the Jurassic Park craze. The reason I remember 1993, because I was a senior in high school, I was super excited. You know, I was one who was always fascinated by dinosaurs. So it was a big deal for me. Oh, I remember, I remember that, too, and I, I was going to say the same thing, because, I mean, I, I was a kid, too, and, you know, what what boy doesn't love dinosaurs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, rem- I remember going to see that first movie with uh, some of my buddies. It was funny, I'm, I'm in uh, in one of our parish rectories here in South Lake Tahoe, and I was talking with a priest here, and we have a transitional deacon who's getting ready to be ordained, and I was telling him about this podcast. He says, oh, my family, he says, we, we love this, uh, this film franchise, Jurassic Park. He says, we have watched and waited for each new installment with deep love and with longing. And I, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I said, wow, this yeah. is a commitment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But it does, it does speak, and, and uh, I mean, definitely one of the most uh, successful film franchises, if we could call it that. Yeah. So this is an evening, Father Mike, that will afford us the opportunity to, to talk about, among other things how nature itself can never be completely controlled, or we can mm-hmm. e- even say neutered of danger. I mean, God may not be mentioned in the Jurassic film franchise, but there is a sense of uh, reverence for the power of nature. And here, 
we're not talking about Mother Nature in some feminine abstract, but the beauty that comes from the creative genius of God, the beauty we encounter, say, you're in Lake Tahoe, right, Father Mike, on a hike through Lake oh, Tahoe, yeah. right? The, the, the beauty we admire when traveling on I-80 in the Midwest and it's, it's rolling corn and wheat fields, the, the captivating awesomeness we, we encounter when we get to Niagara Falls. I think we are drawn to such places because whether or not we can articulate it the way we ought, we find ourselves in our Creator's natural cathedral. Uh, my wife and I recently went to Kauai, and mm. uh, I would be remiss not to, to say that we had the chance to helicopter in uh, to Jurassic Falls where that memorable scene from the first movie happened. So we actually got in a helicopter. It was kind of our big thing we did when we were there, and we helicoptered in. It was a memorable moment. But the thing that oh, yeah. stood out to me was just... This is God's creation. You know, this is God's natural cathedral. And this, you know, this franchise, I think, really does capture that element. Yeah. And yes, there's a whole other side to it we're going to get into. But, you know, I, I, did, I did think here, Father Mike, it would be good to at least touch upon that truth. Because I think that is part of the draw of this franchise. Creation yeah. itself and the places that this franchise was filmed. Sure, I agree with that absolutely. And you know, one of the uh, even as we're talking, one of the things that strikes me uh, when we talk about nature and creation, but specifically when we talk about God and maybe some of the ethical issues that these movies open up for us. You know, we, particularly in the Old Testament, one of the very kind of prominent senses of who God is, particularly you look at a text like Genesis, God is the Creator, mm-hmm. and um, I would suggest to you that. That's not a very, I mean, uh, that's not a very conscious part of our thinking of relating to God these days. You know that that um, yeah, I that's agree. Not, maybe <laughs> not the dominant image. God is the creator. Mm. Remember, we I don't think we ever talked about uh, the the movie Noah, but they don't even call him God. They call him the creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know that I think that that's a little bit lost in one of the, um, you know, one of the the, the huge ethical. Uh, dilemmas that the the movie opens up, particularly the first one, is man's effort to be creator. Mm. You know, um, yeah. so I, I think that that's that this ought to jog something for us, or um, kind of call us back to one of these like primary attributes of God. You know, that he's he's not only the deity, or he's not only the you know whatever image of him we have, but part of that reverence for nature means a return to this emphasis on. God is the originator, the source, the creator, the life giver, and um, maybe the uh, the violent consequences of of a kind of a foundational violation of that. Yeah, it's interesting as you bring that up, Father Mike, because when you go back into the the story of creation itself and some of the Hebrew, um, maybe some of our listeners are not aware of this, but there are two creation accounts, and and, and they're not two creation accounts because God got it wrong the first time, right? You right, might find. Right the deeper truth in the Hebrew for God. Uh, in the first creation account, God is one who creates. In the second creation account, God is one who fathers. So there we are made to understand that God's creation comes out of He who is Father. Uh, so so you, don't, you don't look at these two creation accounts as one against the other as much as one in light of the other. And once we get that right, we are well on our way to what you're talking about. We need to rediscover... Uh, what it means to to say 
yeah, that God is creator, and we will once we better understand who God is as Father. There is this interesting kind of contradiction, I think, in the culture that surrounds the movie, certainly, but also just culture in general in terms of, we. I think that, you know, rightly so, we have a deep reverence for nature, creation. We want to be green. We, we have a deep reverence for animals and animal rights and all of those kinds of things. But at the same time, we're, we are very willing to violate the order of creation in the sense that we uh, supplant the Creator. We, we want a clone. We want a this. We want a that. And, you know, maybe in different contexts, that's whatever. But yeah. I think that there is this violation of nature when we kind of sidestep or put ourselves in the place of the Creator of nature mm. or, or mm. the logic of nature. Yeah. And I think that these movies, that they speak somewhat violently to that rupture between mm. a deep reverence for nature, a deep reverence for animals, without a deep reverence for the creator, uh, the the uh, the creator of nature mm. and the mm. logic of all of it. Well said, Father Mike. And and as you speak to that, it serves up uh, the essence of what this program is going to be about. This is a film series that explores a prominent theme since the early days of uh, Enlightenment. And that theme, of course, is rationalism, more specifically, aggressive rationalism and, and the dangers of an aggressive rationalism. And here, when we talk about rationalism, we mean, Father Mike, that system of thought or, or that attitude of mind which holds up that human reason in of itself is self-sufficient and does not need the, the help of divine revelation, does not need the help of something that comes from outside of us um, to help better understand who we are and where we are going. Rationalism also views that reason can give certitude uh, without verification of facts. So in essence, what rationalism up upholds is not faith and reason, but experience and reason. So Father Mike Bishop Barron, in a recent piece of his, and we were talking about this beforehand, picks up this relationship between aggressive rationalism and creation and asserts that this really is, if not one of the most dominant motifs, the dominant motif found in, in the Jurassic Park series. You talk about this rupture, this violation, that this is what he's after. And in that piece he uses, which I thought to be most fascinating, Dr. Frankenstein as the model to best understand uh, Jurassic Park and, and the whole series and, and where it goes wrong, if, if we're going to speak to it so plainly. That is to say, in Mary Shelley's now infamous work, Frankenstein, how Dr. Frankenstein, uh, his successful attempt to create life artificially backfires. And what does right. it produce? Misery on all sides. So as right. Barron writes, Shelley's point was that seizing godlike authority over nature, though it perhaps satisfies our pride and our desire to dominate the world, in point of fact, unleashes powers that we cannot even in principle control. So, you know, we, we turn our attention to Jurassic Park, and what you have is this updated version, although albeit maybe friendlier version, of Dr. Frankenstein. That's such a neat connection. Oh, it's a beautiful connection. For those of us who remember the first movie in the original Jurassic Park, it was Dr. Hammond uh, who kind of turns back the momentum of evolution and embodies this typically modern rationalistic attitude that sees everything, uh, and this is a phrase that Bishop Barron coins here, 
everything as an object of manipulation. Object of, of manipulation. Now, that he was backed up by the greedy financiers and lawyers certainly only made him more dangerous in the movie. But as you and I were talking beforehand, Father Mike, it was uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, Malcolm, right? Right. This quirky chaos theory specialist who gave voice wisely to the principle of rationalism when he said to Dr. Hammond, John Hammond, John, the kind of control that you're attempting here, it's, it's not possible. This kind of need to wield power when we shouldn't. Uh, certainly, Father Mike has been at the heart of, of this Jurassic Park franchise. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, beyond simply just the arena in the movie of animals and extinction and biology and all of that. I mean, I, I think that uh, Barron's uh, phrase there, the whole idea of treating everything as an object of manipulation is such a, is such a great way to look at what's opened up for us here and how destructive uh, that can be. Mm. Malcolm's, one of uh, Malcolm's great lines, because uh, the interesting thing about Hammond, uh, you know, one of the striking thing about his character is he's so consumed. You know, he's so consumed by what he's creating or manipulating, and even as it's, uh, you know, going uh, chaotic and destructive, I mean, he's so still consumed by his lust for this power and, and what he's putting together in Jurassic Park. Malcolm, and, and he speaks of that. He says, you know, we were so consumed with whether or not we could, that is, whether or not we could create these dinosaurs, that we never stopped to ask ourselves whether or not we should. Great line. One of my favorite oh, yeah. lines from the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. And, and I think that that continues to be uh, the tension for us in all kinds of ethical, moral, spiritual, human issues. You know, take the dinosaurs and the Jurassic Park out of it. This, this kind of... Um, you know, treating our life, treating on any level, it's it's all subject to manipulation. Mm. And uh, there is really, we're driven by what we can do, and the discussion about what we should do is, uh, is I don't think, adequately put, uh, we're not putting the uh, the horse in front of the cart, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. John Paul II once said that people were made to be loved and things used. We love things and use people. Right? So he, he kind of turns it around, and at the heart of that phrase is John Paul II's, of course, deeper understanding of utilitarianism, this, this philosophy of using, and this, of course, is what we're talking about here in relationship to rationalism. I, I thought it fascinating, too, Father Mike, that here you have Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, who's a theorist of chaos, <laughs> Right? Mm -hmm. And he's the one who, who brings reason into the chaos. I just thought that was... Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So as we're talking about this, certainly, Father Mike, I know we've talked about freedom before, but we could stand to talk about freedom a little more. Because one of the overarching themes at play here is the call we have to properly understand freedom. Uh, not as a gift of indifference, but as a gift for excellence. It was the great uh, Dominican theologian, and I'm not going to remember his name, Pincar, Father Pincar, who mm -hmm. in response to a work written in the early 1960s, I think, uh, titled Freedom for Indifference, he responded to that book, Freedom for Indifference, with a book titled Freedom for Excellence. And at the heart of his response was this much deeper truth that is inherent in any true freedom. I've often turned to the analogy of my son, which continues to expand because my son is, is such a phenomenal young piano player that 
when my son was four years old, I could have asked someone, is he free to play the piano? And someone could have said, yeah, I mean, unless you, you stop him, Joe, you know, he's going to walk over and he's going to play the piano, right? He's free to play the piano. But I would ask the question again, is my son truly free to play the piano? You know, he's been taking piano lessons for eight years and eight years later, let me tell you something, <laughs> he is free to play the piano. And you know what I'm talking about, Father Mike, because as I've recently discovered, you're a pretty darn good piano player yourself. <laughs> you know? and so uh, no, I remember, I remember <laughs> he uh, being over at the, the house and him showing me up on that keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. But he, he was free to play the piano because he was obedient to the rubric of how to play the piano. Now, what's really interesting about this is more recently he's starting to write his own music. You know, he's playing his own songs, and there's one particular song that he's been playing, and he was playing it a lot uh, more recently as I was in Ohio visiting some family, and everyone was deeply moved by this piece he was playing. And why were they deeply moved? Because out from his obedience to the rubric of how to play the piano, now he can creatively play the piano as he ought. You see, no one was hinging upon his freedom. He was playing as God was calling him to play, but only to the extent that he was still yet obedient to the rubric of how to play the piano. So, you know, he knows his songs, canon and D, and so on and so forth, but now he's taken his freedom to a whole other level. And what the church wants us to see is that, in the end, freedom, if you want to take it to another level, is always going to be tied to the primordial law that is inherent in freedom. So I thought a necessary reflection as we talk about this franchise that wants to just kind of take freedom and, and run, run about loosely with it. Oh, yeah, and to take it back to our friend Malcolm's uh, insight in the first movie, freedom is really a liberty to do what I should do more than it's a liberty to do whatever I could do. You know, and, and we're celebrating this week, 4th of July and freedom and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm reminded of Victor Frankl, who was, you know, a... Uh, he was in a uh, you know a Nazi uh, camp in World War II and developed uh, logotherapy you know uh, and was a psychologist and he wrote that very famous book Man's Search for Meaning. But he uh, very famously said uh, something to the effect of I would recommend supplanting a the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast with a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And and I remember there was another poet too I I don't remember if it was Charles Pegway or whatever but. Would also made the comment, you know, I would recommend that, you know, we need this balance. If we have a Statue of Liberty, we need a Statue of Responsibility as mm. well. Mm. And of course, it's figurative. But I sure. mean, I love that. Our, I, I love oh, yeah. that, Father Mike. But our our culture of freedom, we, we and it's not unimportant. You know, don't don't get me wrong. But it's almost exclusively my rights. My rights. What are my rights? Yeah. You know, what am I entitled to? What what are my liberties? And and that is a wonderful, necessary, important piece, but it doesn't make sense if, uh, it's not, if it's not coupled with my responsibilities. Because if my rights for myself aren't um, somehow or another an expression of my responsibility for the others, then it becomes very distorted and it becomes destructive. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I think that that's an important piece of this conversation and in a roundabout way. Uh, it's this uh, un- this irresponsible use of freedom mm. and the violation that creates the destruction in these films. 
Yeah, earlier I was talking about JP2 and, and, and his line, people are made to be loved and, and things used. We love things used people. That was a line coined in Love and Responsibility, which of course is his first great philosophical work, which really became the foundation for his very uh, well-known now theology of the body. And I mention that because, again, the book is titled Love and Responsibility. It's so cliche to, to go to Spider-Man in his infamous words now, with great power comes great responsibility, but we all have been given great power. And yeah. to every cliche is, is a deep truth. <laughs> As we've yeah. been given great yeah. power, we've been given great responsibility. Now, for all of this, Father Mike, I, I would be remiss if we didn't touch upon, I think, what is bothersome for a lot of Christian commentaries in this latest film, and that is the moral equivalence of human beings and other animals, namely, of course, in this franchise, dinosaurs. Right. Uh, dinosaurs. The final scene of the film depicts a velociraptor looking down from a ridge over a densely populated area. And uh, as the, the Velociraptor is looking down, we hear the words, we can't let them die. I had to. They're alive like me. Uh, this is a piece taken up by Bishop Barron, and he notes, you know, the pretty clear implication here is that the dinosaurs have the same dignity as human beings and deserve to live as much as we do. And right. of course, in the end, we know that while the Bible is, is insistent on the goodness of nature and 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 how the non-human world is ingredient to God's great plan of salvation, as we've talked about it, Father Mike, it is equally insistent, if not more, that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God and hence have this unique dignity that right. no matter how magnificent an animal might be, and I think one of the reasons why we're so captivated by by dinosaurs is because they are the most magnificent, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we we are fascinated by, you know, maybe the American crocodile who who seems to be such a direct descendant of the dinosaur. Ultimately, animals are not subject to the infinite value that a human person is. And we need to kind of just highlight that because if we don't, and certainly this is part of the problem today, Father Mike, that distinction can be blurred. And oh, yeah. again, if we were to bring this back to Dr. Frankenstein, that's part of the distinction that was blurred, right? So something to, again, be present to. We, we see that line, I think, being crossed all the time. And, and certainly, I mean, from the, be the very beginning, you know, the book of Genesis all, all the way up to, you know, Pope Francis with his Laudato Si, you know, that the, the call to care for creation and to be stewards of creation and all of that, I mean, that's certainly a very biblical and Christian calling. So you know, to care for the environment and for animals and all that is certainly uh, part of man's vocation as man. But you do see it where, um, you know, that you know, the well-being of uh, animals is, is uh, you know, more important for some than, you know, you know the well-being of human beings. So I, I do think that the point is, uh, you know, very relevant and very uh, present in our in our current cultural kind of environment. Yeah, one of the things that Pope Francis highlighted that just doesn't get talked about anywhere in Laudato Si is the fact that he he highlighted uh, the unborn. You know, we can have a great right. reverence for creation, one side of ecology, but what about human ecology? Right. right. Yeah. No, yeah. Pope, it's very confused. Yeah, I mean, Pope Benedict XVI 
gave us 10 commandments for the environment. And when he did, everyone was calling him the green Pope, you know, but I don't know if anyone actually read it <laughs> because Oh no, I agree. Yeah. In many respects, as he was challenging us to be stewards of creation, he was equally, if not more challenging us to be attentive to this, this human ecology, right? Where we are sensitive to, and maybe better said, mindful of what is foundational to the human person and the dignity of the human person. Just by way of closing, Father Mike, something that kind of hit me when I was driving over here is that we live in a risk-reward world, but what does that world look like for us without faith? I mean, if there is no moral equation to figure out, then the risk just might be greater than we can ever imagine. And this is what is put before us in this franchise, certainly at the end of this most recent movie. We talk about risk-reward, but what does that look like within the context of faith? What are we risking in the light of that salient truth that has been with us for thousands of years? There is a God. Right. Mm-hmm. What does this decision look like? I mean, when you when you talk about the cardinal virtue of prudence, Father Mike, this is a word that that speaks to sagaciousness. What does sagaciousness mean? But uh, an acute awareness, sagacity is is to be acutely aware. Acutely aware of what what this decision means for your next move. To to live prudently is to live with the end in mind. And so, if we if we are going to live in in this risk reward mindset. Let's do so with that gift of faith. And certainly right. this, again, is something that we ought to be thinking about on the hills of, of this movie. Yeah, I think that's said so well. I don't know if, if you had any other closing thoughts. No, I'm not, just that I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee, speaking of creation, looking out at that beautiful Lake Tahoe. And, oh, uh, amen. So this is a, it's, it's the right setting to have a yeah. conversation like this. Yeah, amen. Well, from your seat, with your cup of coffee, looking out on that beautiful emerald lake. <laughs> Can you close us with a word of prayer? Yeah, Lord God, you are the creator, you are the source, you are the father of all that is, and you've called us to be stewards of your creation and to, to walk with you uh, and with one another with deep reverence. So we ask you to continue to pour out your blessings of life and grace upon us, you who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Mike. You bet. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.